ברוכים הבאים בשם השם ורחנוכם מבייס השם. Wednesday night share. Beis L. Today, of course, we know it's Aleph El Roshchidish L. There were two days Roshchidish. The Shabbos Pasha Shaftim. Baruch Hashem. Shechiyano Vikimano Ezeche. One second. Zeche this week, Mirat Hashem, also is our uh, my wife and myself 32nd anniversary, Baruch Hashem. It's <coughs> 120. This Shabbos. This Shabbos is Dalit El. Again, a personal milestone. It's the outside of my uh, dearly beloved departed father, Allah Shalom. A fellow that was a man was born in war-torn Europe, and Baruch Hashem married in. My mother, American girl, was there for many, many years. Children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. Kolniyma, a very, very sweet voice. A cousin by trade. But not just a chazan on his own right, but a ninth generation chazan. My grandfathers, great great grandfathers. And he made the tradition, he carried on the tradition and made it very, very proud. He was Zecha, he merited the thank yous, personal thank yous from the Rebbe. For his chazonus, numerous occasions by Kesha Bracha, the Rebbe actually handed him a bottle of vodka for his chazonus, and on numerous occasions by dollars, he received an extra dollar for his chazonus. When he was able to get away from Shul, able to come here to Davin. The Rebbe would always tell him, Yashikayach, after Davening, look for him. As was the case with his father, my grandfather, Shalom. Who also was a very, very, shall we say, talented chazan. And he too, davened by the Rebbe for the Ahmed, and he too was very, very appreciated by the Rebbe for his chazanas. 
when the Rebbe would daven in his place, the Rebbe would stand. Rebbe, you see whatever parts had to be stood for. After Shemini Esrei and Yom Tif, Chalamayit, Shabbos, sometimes the Rebbe would stand even through Chazar Sashatz. Which of course implied that the Chazan should make it quick. I saw personally on several occasions after Kedusha, after the Bracha Kela Kodesh, the Rebbe would like lean forward, yeah. try to get the attention of the Chazan when my father was the Chazan, to let him know that the Rebbe is sitting down. And he should take it slow. The Rebbe would like to hear something. The power of the voice, obviously, is a tremendous, tremendous thing. The power of prayer, as we daven to Hashem for what we need. May Hashem answer all our prayers. I'd like to also dedicate the shir for Fuhr Shleima. Fesara Basberta should have long, long years, happy years, healthy years, nachas for my children, together with her husband, isn't it? The power of prayer is a gift that we were given. Hakel Kel Yaakov, the voice is that of Yaakov, the Almighty relies on our tefillahs to hear and to enjoy and to accept and to answer. And may Hashem indeed answer the tefillahs of each and every one of us in a positive vein, in something that we should see immediately. And we should see our prayers come into, uh, the answers of our prayers come into fruition speedily, happily in our days. You should give Shaftim, and you should give Shaftim. In the beginning of the Pasha, and the Pasha therefore is called Pasha Shaftim, but not Pasha Shaftim Vishaitrim. Not the judges and the policemen. However, ironically, or not rather ironically, because nothing is ironic when it comes to Torah, as we know, we've spoken about many times how the Chachamim when there was a decree that the Jews could not read from the Torah, the sages instituted from the prophets and the scriptures
Haftera. And Haftera is all Keina Parsha. The Haftera is over on the same theme as the Parsha was. The Haftera, this week's Parsha, since this week's Parsha is a very, very integral Parsha in reference to Mashiach, so too the Haftera talks about the time of the Geula, the time of the redemption, and the time Mashiach comes, Ashiva Shavtayach Kivarishena Veyatayach Kivatchila. I will return, says the Almighty, the judges as they were before, and Yoyatayach Kivatchila, and your and your advisors. However, in the place of the Shaitrim, the Shaitrim and Shaitrim, from our Parsha, the Haftada replaces the Shaitrim. With the Yayatsayach, the advisors, and omits the Shaitrim. Within the Shaitrim themselves, we need to understand there are two different types. Rashi explains here what were the Shaitrim, what did the Shaitrim do? There were times, says Rashi. That the judge would pass judgment, and the litigants would not pay heed. At this point, the policemen, the shaitrim, were sent out to enforce the law. And sometimes, says Rashi, they would hit them with a stick or with a strap until they accepted the actual judgment. The problem that we have here, as we've spoken many times, Rashi speaks to the Ben Chamesh Lemikra, to the five-year-old that's sitting and studying Torah. That Ben Chamesh Lemikra is extremely, extremely intelligent. So intelligent is the Ben Chamesh the Mikra that he remembers whatever Rashi ever explains to him. And therefore, we need to examine an issue here. And that is that Rashi 
In a previous point in the Torah, but not too far, not too long ago, actually came about the word with Shaitim and Shaitim. He comes on in back in the Varim, in the beginning of the Varim. Right in the beginning, Pasik Tesvav, the fifteenth Pasik of the Khamish. Where the Pasik talks about Vishaitrim the Shivtechem. And Rashi's also concerned at that point that Bechamesh the Mikra does not know what Shaftim means. And he writes, These are the ones that hit and punish with a strap according to the Dayanim. According to the judges. Yet here Rashi alters that. Rashi goes to a, a total lengthy diatribe. The lengthy diatribe that Rashi goes through, and he explains haredness al machametzvason. Shemekin vekesin b'makel uberetzua. He talks about the staff and the strap. A whole lengthly until the shef, until the person accepts upon himself what the judge has said. Why does Shaitrim take a different dimension in our Pasha than it had before? And then we'll also try to explain the commonplace between the Shaif Tayek, between the Shaif the Shaitrim. And the Yitzhak. We'll have to say, therefore, that truthfully there are two different Shaitrim. Rashi is not misleading, God forbid, the five-year-old. In Pasha's Devarim, the mission of the Shaitrim Are if a person, God forbid, did something of which he deserved malchus, the punishment was to get smitten. The shefet himself, the judge himself, did not give the malchus. And therefore, in the beginning of the Varim, Tells us Shaitrim the Shivtechem. The Shaitrim, these Shaitrim had the task to fulfill, to carry out the punishment of the judges. 
Whereas in our parsha, it talks about a different shaitan, a different policeman. When a person does not want to do what he's told, to pay the money, etc., then they beat him until he agrees. But in our parsha, it's not talking about punishment that is meted out to the person. Let us therefore return. To the Shavtaich, to the Shavtim, the Shavtim and the Yitzayach. The Shavtim are the judges that give the din, that they pass, they pass judgment. And Shavtim, as we just said now, are the ones that see to it to enforce it. Not they give the punishment, but rather enforce it. In other words, there are times, unfortunately, where although the rabbi the mother the Asra says something. People deny what he says. People turn their backs on him. People blaspheme the words of the love. For this we need a shaitir. We need a policeman that's going to come and to enforce what the love said. Even the person does not understand himself why he has to do this. He can do it on his own. How can one do it on his own? If he goes to a yayetz, and the yayetz comes to him and gives him a good advice, and a good explanation as to what he had. And therefore, he, the yayetz, the advisor, tells him, you should do what the judge, what the judge has told you. According to this, we now understand the two different expressions. In the time of Golos, the Yetzahara comes along and he talks into the person's ear and he convinces the person to go against the Psak of the Bezdin, to go against what the Dintera, the outcome of the Dintera was. person doesn't want to do it, therefore. And therefore he needs to face the, the music, the shaitar coming and giving, beating, his sense, beating sense into him. But Liyasad Lavai, in the future, when the words of Zechariah Navi will come through, and it will be I will take away the impurity, spirit, the impure spirit, spirits, of the world that, that roam across the world. And the entire essence of evil will be eradicated. At that point, we will not need even the shaitan. Why? Because as the shaitan will return, and Bezn will paskin, to be Mekayim, the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kabbalah we will have in the way of Yehatzayich, our knowledge, our Chokhmah, our Seichel, will accept, accept and understand. In a form of Yehatzayich that will understand, this is the Eitzah, this is the way that we have to do it. <laughs> Thank you.
they tell the story of a hiker. No, I said hiker, not hoike. A hoike is a guy with a hunchback. This fellow was a hiker. He was running. He was going through the forests. Now you have to remember these hikers, and we'll soon tell you about the hikers in Thailand. But this hiker was just hiking in the woods of maybe Eastern Europe, maybe of New York State. Now the hikers consider themselves extremely intelligent people, of course. And they have maps, and they have roads, and they have things and thoughts, the way they want to do things. The hiker arrived at a raging river. If you ever stood by a raging river, it's Pachosha. It's similar to the bottom of a waterfall. Where the water is going full force. And the, hike, the hiker came to the river and he wanted to cross the river. But as the hiker sees the water is deep, and not only the water is deep, but the flow is very strong, the hiker was very scared to cross. Suddenly the hiker sees a peasant on the other side of the water. He sees a peasant on the other side, and the peasant is toiling with the ground, with the land. He's planting or he's picking up whatever he's doing. <laughs> and the hiker calls across the raging noise. That's what he said. <laughs> he screams across the raging river to the peasant. Tell me, my friend. How do I get to the other side? The peasant, being a simpleton, very simple man by nature. Here's the question, how does he get to the other side? And the peasant looks at the raging water, looks up the mountain where the water is stemming from, And looks down the river, the length is going for miles and miles on end. And he looks at the hiker across the other side and he says, You are on the other side. The other side of his. He says, I'm on one side, you're on the other side. Hikers. Unfortunately, in our holy land, our holy brethren, a decree has now been put down. The IDF, everyone needs to serve. Yeshiva Bakrim, everybody. Sometimes it might be a good idea. The Bach is not sitting and learning. The Bach is not taking life seriously. But we know that Tineke Shabbos Rabban are not taken even to build the Beis Hamikdash. We don't take away people from studying Torah, and this was one of the problems of how Beitar fell in, because this whole city was destroyed because they took away the learning of Torah.
Ten When the emperor wanted to conquer the Jews, he said, Give me Yavne and its Chachamim. Give me the learning people, the ones that are learning Teda. And if I have the ones that are learning Teda, he knew that he would conquer the Jews. So the fact that we are taking boys out of yeshiva from studying Teda to go serve in the forces, not necessarily are they really the right way to go. But who am I to say anything about that if I live here in America, my children being American, although my nephews, my wife's nephews serve in the army. Hashem should watch over all our children, all our soldiers. The soldiers have a very interesting life though. They go through life, they go through the school system, they go to the army. When they finish serving in the army, then what? So generally in America you can go to college, you have education, further education. Many, many Israeli soldiers, unfortunately, consider themselves very lost after the army. And the solution is to go find themselves, to find their souls. And many of them travel to the far east of Rahman al-Islam. To search for spirituality. Smell you as smelling is kosher liver. Do you like liver? Do you like liver? Fresh liver? Go again. Oh, she'll give you. Straight off the fire. Robin said I need a pound of liver to go, please. That's with shlishkis or without shlishkis? Was it chicken behind the chicken liver? Chicken liver, chicken liver. It was a very strong smell. It's getting much stuff in me. This is a cigarette. It's one particular fellow, Nebuch. Don't, don't, don't. Don't. Excuse me. Went off to Thailand. Where his parents unfortunately knew that this is a place almost of no return. Neighbors and friends that didn't set their children disappeared. They never saw them again. Neighbors and friends, children that disowned the families after going away to such places. But they also had no solution and nothing to offer their child. So when the child said he was going to travel to the Far East, they had no answer for this. The child knew that they were broken, their hearts were broken over this. They were torn. But they all stood in the airport and with tears bade him farewell. This boy went and began to do his soul searching in the mountains. I guess the Himalayas are there. And like all the other Israeli boys, would sit and look for all the gurus and all this and all that, he found himself a Thai girl, 
There's one focal point, though, that all these Israeli wanderers and travelers came to an agreement on. That was the Passover Seder in Katamdun by Chabad. Now there are many different places where this is done. At that time, there was one major Seder in Katamdu. And hundreds and hundreds of these boys congregated by the Seder. His first year that he was there, it didn't even interest him. But as he made more friends and as he got more secure with his life there, the second Pesach that he was in Thailand, his friends said, come, we're all going to the Seder, they'll come with and he came, he joined them to the Seder. And he came to this hall that he'd never seen something so big in his life. Hundreds and hundreds of seats are set. Tables were laid. And many Israeli boys like himself, girls, were setting the tables, were cooking, were arranging, were working. Everybody was involved in this Chabad Seder. He sat down. And it was quite pleasant. The Seder itself, the talk, the inspirational words, the food. It was nice experience. However, when the Bakr, in talking and explaining and translating everything in the Seder, Explain that the Rebbe says that the Jews are the reason and the only creation in this world and everything else is only a surrounding. This did not take well. This is bigotry. This is so not acceptable to him. He went ballistic. He was ready to leave. He started to scream at the Bacha. And the Bacha calmed him down and said, Don't worry, my friend. Understand what I'm telling you. We were created for the non-Jews. We were created so the non-Jews should have a purpose in this world. We, the Jews, are created equally as everyone else is created. However, we are the children of Hashem. And the explanation sat with him slightly, but not exactly. And then he went on to explain to him, though, how we are given Torah and mitzvahs. And Torah and mitzvahs gives us a certain aura when we do a mitzvah. It gives us an aura, it gives us a... brings us to a... Stop killing the Sultan. It gives us, it brings us to a level in life that we can achieve and ascertain that nobody else ever can. For example, said the Bacha, the tefillin, when we put on tefillin, we connect ourselves to God in a way that nobody, no one else can possibly do so, as we connect directly to God, and all these other religions and gurus and everybody try to connect through something else, through a different conduit, through a different channel. 
That is the plus. That is the greatness of Judaism. He liked that. This hit a funny bone in his system. So much so, he said to himself, you know, lucky me. I packed, for some reason, as a memento, my tefillin. I have my tefillin with me. I'm going to try this out. And so one gosh forsaken day after Yom Tif, he put on the tefillin and he started to feel strange. He started to feel something's there. Couldn't pinpoint it. So from time to time, randomly, he would take out his tefillin and put them on to get this spiritual high. Weeks went by, and he was traveling, he was not traveling, he was climbing the mountain. He had a group of locals with him, he was leading the group. And they got up to a couple of thousand feet. Now, I don't know how many people here who are listening, or that are going to listen to this, have done mountain climbing. Mountain climbing is an experience... You feel closer to God. You're just on top of the world looking down on creation. Now, personally, I did get much higher than the Avila in, in Venezuela, which was quite a high mountain. This fellow was at a couple of thousand feet up. And he came to a peak, to a little, a little cliff, and it was sunset time. Now, this week at the Ohel, coming out of the Ohel, my wife saw it better than I did, was the sunset. It was Shkia time. We went towards the end of the evening. I know, I remember. I remind, don't keep reminding me that I didn't pick you up. I know. And... <laughs> it was It was glorious. It was godless habeda, it was the greatness of creation. The sunset, the way it was setting, the colors, the life. So much more so when you're up two, two three thousand feet up, and you're out on this open cliff, and this sun is, it's just, must have been the most magnificent sight. Standing up there, he decided it's time for him to connect to God. So the first thing he did was take out his tefillin and he wrapped himself in his tefillin his arms and his, and his arm and his head closed his eyes and he felt the spirituality just flowing through him. And he turned to the locals that were with him to tell them what kind of aura he was in. <laughs> and they were gone. They were not to be found. And he starts calling to them. Nobody's answering. He was flabbergasted. He was, where they all leave me? And he took a few steps back. And one of them all of a sudden pops out from behind the stone. And he sees they're all petrified. He put on the tefillin. 
and he shook them to the roots. This shook his roots. His this knowledge, what his tefillin accomplished. This knowledge of how great, how what kind of level the tefillin brought him to. What do I do? This knowledge gave him the push that he needed. Oh, an L ring. My birthday now. For your birthday? You got this for your birthday? It's amazing. Well, your birthday's not now. It's next week. Huh? I said next week, I know. Hmm? Immediately he returned to Chabad. Thanks, thank you to AT&T in Atlanta. And to the old bottle of fresca. Immediately he returned to Chabad to ask all his questions, to get all his answers. Today, Baruch Hashem, he is married in Etzizel, in the Holy Land. He has a beard, a black hat, And he, when you walk into Shul, blends right in with all the other Chabadnikim. And you can never know that this person went through this story. So we see from this, how the Yayat Sayich, the Eitzah, <laughs> the Eitzah, that a person gets, the Chochma that a person can get, when Ruach Hatuma Avin Mina Oretz. But generally, all the Ongoings in the Pasha leave us sometimes with questions of the Shaitim, of the Shaitim, of the Navi Bekir Becha. This is the Pasha that the Rebbe mentioned. Yesh Navi Bekir Becha. There is a Navi amongst you. There is a prophet amongst you. Which we'll soon discuss that Sikh as well. But the idea here of taking the physical mundane and elevating it to a level that we cannot understand. I can only explain with another story. Today, not today actually, 30 plus years ago when I got married, and years before that, we used to laugh. In Chabad we didn't have it then, do now. We used to laugh then, though, that in the other Litvashi yeshivas, they tend to learn over a shtender. Bacha can't learn by a table. Everyone has to have a shtender. Why they need a shtender? Because in front of that shtender, there was a slot. And they put in a, they slid in a cardboard which said how much money they're worth. 
So when the prospective father-in-law came in, they should know what their dowry is. So each boy had a shtender, so that the dowry, reading what the dowry was. But this went on time in history. The bacha that was sitting and learning properly, that was really impressive in his seda yeshiva, that was consistent in his learning, would be looking for a, a kala, a wife, whose father would be able to support him, so he'd be able to sit and learn all his life. Although we read, the, there's a beautiful set of books, Yishraim Shalmaila, translated into I don't know how many languages. In English it's called Jerusalem, the heavenly city. A beautiful set of books. Very inspirational. Talking about the Mesiris Nefesh. Excuse me, the abnegation, the sacrifice that people went through for the holy city of Yerushalayim to sit and be and to live there and to be able to sit and learn Teda in the most poverty-stricken conditions. Our story takes us to a yeshiva where there were two bachrim that were chosen by two friends. Each friend had a daughter. They were both wealthy. And Baruch Hashem, the two sons-in-law, were sitting in yeshiva, continuing learning after they were married. And the fathers-in-law supported. Now sometimes, this boy, this younger man, starts to show tremendous character, Tremendous charisma. And the tailor that he learns is, is respectable. And the people just, the air that he gives off, it's just amazing. And because it's tailor, people just automatically gravitate to this person. And then you have the Talmud Chacham, that unfortunately is a very, very big Balgaiva. Famous story: The Bashem Hakadosh came into came to a shul where the people were sitting and learning the whole time, and he says he couldn't walk in. So why can't you walk in? There's plenty of place to walk. He said because they're all learning, but the gaiva is so strong, their haughtiness is so great that it all sitting, it's not going up, it's not being elevated. It's sitting in the shul, and he can't go in. There's no room for him. In this case as well, one boy turned into this tremendous Talmud Chochem that was appreciated and loved by everybody. And the other one was a terrible, terrible Balgaiva. Now naturally, the nature would say, because two friends had their two daughters get married, and they married these two boys, the friends would stay friends, and they would talk about the sons-in-law. A famous story with the sons-in-law. Guy said to his son-in-law to go down to the barber and see if he was there. And then the son-in-law went down into the elevator and he meets somebody in the elevator and he says, my father-in-law is such a fool. He says, your father-in-law is a fool. He says, why is he a fool? He told me to go down to the barber to see if he's there. He says, so why is he a fool? 
<laughs> he was right by the phone. He could have called. <laughs> Instead, here a tremendous, horrific animosity set in from this other father-in-law, the Shlomazel, to the one that's so successful. He hated this guy's son-in-law, and he hated the guy, his best friend. He just hated everybody. He was so bitter that his son-in-law was such a loser. A loser, but was not as accepted. One day, the Talmud Chacham, let's call him Moshe, was sitting and studying in the shul by himself at night. It was late hours. He was sitting in a corner. And he heard a voice. He hears a voice saying, If I can't pay this back, either you take me from the world or I'll take my own life. I can't go on like this. And the man was bawling and crying. And Moshe picks up his head. He thought maybe, God forbid, it was a shindalit, a demon. He sees an old yid in the dark corner of the front of the shul. He waits for him to finish and he walks forward. And he says, Rabid, what happened? Please. The man got frightened and he realized, oh, they see each other every day and they always greet each other. They're always so nice to each other. And he says, okay, you caught me. You heard me. I may as well tell you my story. I am the shamus of a, another shul in the town. The sexton, I'm the person that runs the shul. And the shul has a treasury. People give donations, money. One day, a fellow came into the shul, a very trustworthy, nice, kind guy. And he said, I have a tremendous business deal to do. I need a, this amount of money. In three days you have it back. Two, three days maximum you have it back. I said, okay, the shul doesn't need it for two, three days. The shul's not going to need it for a few weeks. And this guy never needs it now for business. I lent him the money. Truthfully, I should have gone to the board. I should have spoken to other people. I had no right to do it, but I did it. I felt bad for him. The man disappeared. He booked it, he left town, I never saw him again. Time is coming, this money is going to have to be used, and they're going to come to me, where's the money? I can't take the embarrassment. So Moshe said to him, how much are we talking about? He told him the amount, he says, ah, don't worry, tomorrow I'll get it for you. The man grabbed him, hugged him, and kissed him, praised him, and thanked him. And they made up tomorrow afternoon, they would meet in a certain spot. The shamus leaves the shul, and Moshe is sitting there with his Gemara, and he says, That was such a beautiful thing to do. I made him so happy, I calmed him down. Now, where do I find the money? I promised it, I committed it, but I don't have it. Now, this is a very private issue. If I go tell this to anybody, God forbid, it'll be horrific for this man. So nobody can know what is going to happen. 
So I have to get the money from a source that nobody's going to ask me where it, what it is. So if I go to my father-in-law, he's going to ask me what it is. He'll inquire, inquire until he finds out what the story is. And I'll embarrass this man. So I really can't do that. How do I go about this? He came up with a brainstorm. He'll go to this other fellow, his other friend, who he didn't know was not really his friend, to his father-in-law, who he didn't know hated his guts. And he'll get the money by him. And he'll pay him back eventually. And eventually he can even ask his father-in-law, his own father-in-law, to give him the money back. So he came to this other man, the one that unfortunately did not like him much. And he told him, I need X amount of money alone for X amount of time. And my collateral is my father-in-law, worst case scenario, he'll pay you back. He'll take it out of my dowry. The man saw an opportunity to take revenge. To destroy this young man, who he hated so, who he was so jealous of. He said, wait a minute, he went to the back and he took out a garment. A white garment. And he told him, this white garment was once left here for a collateral and a loan. The fellow never paid it back, so I have the garment here. I will loan you the money on condition. You don this garment and walk for an hour in the middle of the street, in the middle of the busiest time of the day. What don't you do? He's going to save this Jew. And then don't worry about when you pay me back or you don't pay me back, I don't care. He unfolds the garment and he sees the garment belonged to a priest. It was a, priest, a, a priestly garment from the uh, churches. How embarrassing, how humiliating, how belittling. But what to do? He has to save this poor Jew and he has to get him this money. He put the garment on and he went for a walk in the street. He was obviously the talk of the town. People were ranting, raving, screaming, yelling. They were going crazy of this. Even his own family thought he had totally lost his mind. Parading like a priest all of a sudden. He came back after an hour. And the man was duly satisfied with the humiliation. And he gave him his money. The family didn't know what to do about this, what to say, what to do, where to go. Time went by, it was all forgotten by the townsfolk, it was forgotten by the family, and everything was well. The man himself now, who felt he had a revenge, and gave this money, it was worth it to get this money's worth, he got his money's worth, took that very piece of material, that very garment, and he gave it to a tailor, to do what you want with it. The tailor saw it was a fine cloth. He made it into tachrichim, to the garments that they donned the dead people in. Soon after he finished making this into a tachrichim, he started to get very sick, the tailor. And the tailor called his children and said, I took this, gar- this piece of cloth and I sewed a tachrichim for it. 
since I feel I'm about to die, I want to be buried in these Tachrichim. And Kachav, the man passed away, and he was buried in those Tachrichim. The next night, the man comes to his wife in the dream. And he tells her, I was buried in those Tachrichim, but there's a problem. I didn't use only that material that the guy gave me, I used one patch from something else. I need you to dig up the body and to remove the patch. She woke up and she was trembling. This is such a real dream. But, but, but it makes no sense to dig up somebody. To ch- she went to the Rav, to the Rabbi, and she told the Rabbi her dilemma. And he said, if it happens again, we'll talk. And the next night again, he came and repeated the same thing, the same instructions. And then he went to the Rabbi. And he told the Rabbi in his dream, the garment is a very holy garment. I don't know what this cloth was from, but it's extremely holy garment. However, I sewed a patch from something else in there. As long as I have that garment, they are not punishing my soul by the Bezan Shamila. They are leaving me alone because that garment is protecting me. But because I have that single patch, they keep hurting me from that. I need that patch removed so that I can be saved. To which the man complied, the Rav complied, he went down, they dug up the body, they took out that patch, and the man was able to rest because this garment was used with such mysterious nefesh that this fellow walked in the streets and was so humiliated and humbled in order to save a fellow Jew. Therefore, this garment was so elevated and purified that it saved the man from purgatory from Gehenna. Navi Mekir Becha Elav Tishmon, the Pasik tells us, a Navi amongst you, you should listen to the Prophet. And this the Pasik says, Navi Mekir Becha Meachicha Kamaini, Yakum Lucha Hashem Lekacha Elav Tishmon. To him you should listen. On the words Elif Tishmon, the Chazal tell us, for those keeping score at home, it's Masechtas Yevomis, Tzadik Amit Beis, number nine, page ninety, on the side two. Afilo Eimel Aver Al Achas Mikol Mitzvahs Havai Shabbatayda. Even if the Navi, the Prophet, tells you to go against a mitzvah, the Tayda, Kigayin Eliyahu Baharakarmel, like an Eliyahu Baharakarmel, Hakayil, the Fisha Shomalei. It's momentarily, and you have to listen to him. At the time of Elio Anavi on the Mount Carmel, the Besamikdash being built, and Mishkan being built, it was prohibited to make any kind of bomber, any kind of um, altar, altar to, be, to bring up any kind of sacrifices outside of the temple. However, Elio Anavi and Harakarmel had no choice. And therefore he built the bomber there, and he brought the sacrifices, which was ultimately against what the law is, but a Navi was allowed to. <coughs> this we therefore can explain what it says at the end of Tractate Zvachim, 
And there he elaborates the bringing on Obama. And he says clearly, they came to that's Abomas, the Bomas became prohibited, and they no longer had a heter. Where do we learn this from? And he brings down all the different sources. Why do we need this elaboration? But there is a way that we could still today bring a sacrifice on a bomber. If the Navi will tell us to do so. If a Navi like Yohan Harakarmel, if a Navi today, a prophet today would stand up and say, this is what has to happen, it would be our obligation. And the Chazal tell us, in the Sechdus Yuma, for those keeping score at home, 9, side 2, page 9, Tess Ahmed Beis, and it's also Mesechtus Seita, Memches Ahmed Beis. The Yumara says, Mishemesu Nevi'im Achreinim, when the last prophets died, Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi, Nistalka Ruach HaKedish, Misrael. The Ruach HaKedish, the spiritual, the pure spirituality that one would say prophecy with, left the world. And according to this, therefore, there is no Navi in our times. No, that's not how it works. Because we find the Chazal tell us that the Rashras HaShchiruach HaKedish was even after the Neviim. We still had prophecy after the Neviim. And Rambam cites in Hilchas Nevoah there is no boundary of time it's impossible to say that we reach and ascertain Nevoah in these days. But that's why we have to explain the words of the Gemara. The words of the Chazal when they say, It left after these Nevi'im. But it doesn't say that it was totally bottle or Pasach, bottle or Pascha, that it totally nullified, it totally ceased. It says nistalka. And therefore the Nevoah still has the capacity in this world, but not as frequent, and not as open. But there is still a concept of Navi Bisrael. And therefore we see the Maila of bringing the Beis Hamikdash, the greater part of bringing Beis Hamikdash, then bringing on a bomber, when they bring a carbon in the Besamikdash, the place itself is holy. And therefore the sacrifice where it's being brought is holy, and everything becomes around it holy. When it comes, however, to a bomber, that's not the case. But we find this greatness in today's day and age. In the Kedusha of the Beis HaKnesses, Beis HaMedish, which is considered a Migdash Me'at, a small Migdash. And every good thing is merits the Kedusha. And even more so, when we make in the Beis HaKnesses a Kedusha, a spirituality, every Davish of Kedusha, we say Baruch, we say Kaddish, we say Shemenesre, we say the Kedusha in the repetition. This is in order to add Kiddushah, say, 
Kedushal Kedushal say to add holiness on its on its holiness already, and therefore the place itself becomes holy. And as we know, <coughs> where the Rebbe quotes this as Yesh Navi Bi Yisrael, the Rebbe obviously referring to the Navi of the Nasi Adel, and we should therefore merit, as we said before, Ruach Tuma Avim in Oretz. That the Ruach HaTumah should then be wiped away and we should merit, and as we say in the Bay, the time Mashiach, where there will be three more Arei Miklat, which we didn't even get to in this week's parsha. The three more Arei Miklat will be added because we will be able to gather ourselves, we'll be able to find ourselves, and we'll be forgiven from all sins, and we'll be, the sins will be eradicated and the wickedness and poor and bad air will be eradicated and wiped out from the world, and we will merit only the purity and the holiness and the heaven, heavenly revelations that will be brought down through Mashiach at Kenu, and we will find ourselves this very Shabbos, the, the outside of my father, and his neshama will have an aliyah, and we will merit to the nevuah, the prophecy of Akitu, Vedananu, Sheikh Neyafar, the Hubisecham being a chazan, he will sing and you will hear his voice over everyone else's and he will go with Mashiach to Canaan on this Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom to all.